Do you see anything? It's a question that I imagine he'd been asked several times in his life, and he had the same answer every single time. No, I'm blind. I don't see anything. But this time was different. He he was taken outside the village by a man. It was just him and this man who supposedly could heal him. And he asked, "Do do you see anything? And this time was different. Yes, the man said. I I see people, but they look like big trees, and, and they're walking around. And then the man before him put his hands on his eyes again and took him away. Do you see anything? Yes. Jesus, I see you clearly. Imagine what that moment must have been like for that man. To, to be blind your entire life, and then the, the very first person that you see clearly, the very first thing that you can really see clearly, not blurry whatsoever, is Jesus, the Christ. And the man saw him clearly. Do you? Well, No, Jesus isn't standing before me. I can't see him clearly. True. But through the eyes of faith, do you see clearly who Jesus is? If we don't see Jesus clearly, if we don't see him with 20-20 vision, we're going to follow the wrong Christ. And if we follow the wrong Jesus, we're going to get our life wrong as well. And so, who is Jesus? And what's it mean for our life? How do we see Jesus clearly? That's what Jesus wants to to clarify for us today. He wants you to see him clearly for who he is and what he's come to do. And he wants you to see your life clearly as well. And so that's what we're going to look at in Mark chapter 8. We're going to let Jesus adjust our eyes as he adjusts his disciples' eyes to see him clearly. Mark chapter 8, we're going to jump into verse 27. Here's what we're told. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Stop right there. Jesus takes his disciples up to Caesarea Philippi, probably the farthest north that he ever went with his disciples. Caesarea Philippi was a very Hellenized city, meaning it was very Greek, it was very non-Jewish. A lot of Roman influence, a lot of Greek influence, all these cultures mixed together in one. Uh, And it was very polytheistic. A lot of gods were worshipped in Caesarea Philippi. Jesus brings his disciples way north because he wants to teach them something. He wants to get them to see him clearly. And notice how Jesus teaches them. Like a master teacher. He asks the question, who do people say I am? Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say one of the other prophets. In other words, Jesus, what what people are saying on the streets is that you're some reincarnate prophet of old. Except for John the Baptist who is a contemporary of Jesus who was beheaded Uh, a couple years before this. 
Jesus, they're saying you're some kind of reincarnated prophet. Come back from the dead. That's who they say that you are. Great, Jesus says, but what about you? And Peter stands up. Bold Peter. You are the Messiah, the Christ. Same word, the anointed one. Uh, Christ is the Greek word. Messiah is the Hebrew word. Uh, But they both mean the same thing. You are the anointed one. The one from long ago prophesied about, the the king that would end all kings, the one who would come to make every wrong right. He was the one who was to be the king to come and make every single wrong into a right, to undo everything. This is who you are, Jesus. Ah, very good, Peter. He got it right. But now Jesus says, let me clarify it just a little bit. Let me make sure you're seeing me with 2020 vision. I, I want you to see what it's going to take to be the king that ends all kings. I want, to, I want you to see what it's going to take to right all the wrongs. Here's what Jesus says. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus says, I want you to see me clearly. And this is the turn in the entire gospel. In the entire book, things change now. Up until this point, what's Jesus been? This powerful Savior, healing people, preaching, forgiving people's sins. He's been feeding 5,000. He fed 4,000. He's been doing all these miraculous miracles, powerful miracles. And now Jesus changes everything. And he says, let me clarify to you exactly who I am so you see me clearly. I am the Messiah, the anointed one, to turn all the wrongs into rights, but what's that going to take? I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to be rejected by the church. I'm going to be killed, and on the third day, rise again. I've come to make all the wrongs into rights, but what's it going to take? It's going to take me to lose my life. What's it going to take? It's going to take me to look like I lose, not win. It's going to take for me to give my life on the cross, to die and rise again. This is what it's going to take. In other words, what Jesus wants his disciples to know and what he wants us to know is this. Your first point today. There is no Christ without the cross. There is no the anointed one. There is no Christ without the cross. He must suffer and die, he says. And all this was too much for Peter. Do you see what Peter did? Instead of being the follower, he becomes a leader. Instead of being the student, he becomes a teacher as he pulls Jesus aside and he says, Jesus, stop talking about this. You're not going to suffer. You're not going to die. That's not who you are. Stop. Enough. Why? Why did Peter do that? Now, it's more than just he doesn't want Jesus to die, though he didn't. Uh, For any Jewish person in the first century, 
they would have had this reaction if they heard the Messiah was going to die. Because as they grew up, they, they looked at the Old Testament scriptures and what did they see? They saw two Messiah-like characters. The first one was that king who would restore everything, who'd make the blind see, the, the deaf hear, the lame walk. Uh, he would restore the kingdom, all this good stuff. He'd be the king to end all kings. He'd make all wrongs into right. But then there was this Messiah-like character that was so mysterious, the suffering servant that we looked at at Isaiah 53, the one who, who would die on behalf of the people, the one who would bear sins, that peace would come through his suffering and death. And what no Jewish person could uh, completely wrap their mind around was how those two would be fulfilled in one person. And Jesus is there saying, let me clarify for you. Let me show you exactly who I am. Let, let me show you with 20-20 vision that I'm the Christ. I'm both. But in order to get the one who rights all wrongs and be the king who ends all kings, it comes through suffering and death. My suffering death on the cross. Because it's only through the suffering and death of Jesus that sin is completely paid for. As we look at our lives... We look at all of our problems that we have, and we could list a whole bunch. The very root of every problem that we have in this world and in this life is sin. It's separation from God. And in order to right all the wrongs, Jesus couldn't just take care of symptomatic problems. He had to take care of the root of the problem, which is sin. And so what did Jesus have to do? He must suffer and die to bring unity between us and God, because sin has separated us from God, who is life. And it's because we're separated from God because of sin that all of these problems in life happen. And so Jesus had to suffer and die. Okay, we, we, we understand that, but why? why? Why did he have to die to forgive us? Why couldn't God just forgive us or find a different way? Imagine you come over to my house. And we're in my backyard, we're playing catch. And you think I have more athletic abilities than I do, and that I have a bigger vertical jump than I do. And so you throw the ball nice and high because you want me to see, see me make this amazing catch, and I barely get off the ground, and the ball goes right through my window. Broken window. What options do I have? I have two options. One, I can charge you and make you pay for the window. Or I could forgive you. But if I forgive you, I still have the problem, don't I? The window's still broken. It needs to be replaced. And so what does that mean? I I absorb the consequence. I absorb the loss. I absorb the hurt. And I pay to replace the window. God told Adam and Eve, before they ever sinned, that if you eat from that tree in the middle of the garden, you're going to die. You're going to be separated from me. And they ate from the fruit. And so if God is going to forgive us, what's he got to do? He has to suffer the loss. He has to absorb the cost. He has to pay the price to forgive us. And that price was death. And that's why Jesus must suffer. He must die. To get to the root of every one of our problems, he has to suffer and die. Therefore, there is no Christ without a cross. Do you see Jesus clearly? Or are you following a different Christ? Is your Christ kind of like your lucky rabbit foot? You need a spot in the parking lot at HEB 
And oh, look at that. A parking spot, nice and close, opened up. Praise Jesus, he, get, he gave me the parking spot. My lucky rabbit foot. You see, your vending machine. You go to him, you ask, or genie. He's the one who grants your wishes. Is he your prosperity? The one who brings you health, wealth. But that's it. Does Jesus do all those things? Sure, he can. But that's not who his main, what his main purpose is. There is no Christ without the cross because his main purpose is to bring you forgiveness. And he won it because he bore his cross to right all the wrongs in your life. He's righted all the wrongs because every single sin has been paid for. Every single wrong that you've ever committed against God is gone because Jesus absorbed it himself and he took it to the cross. He bore his cross. He bore the cross for you and for me. That's who Jesus is. 2020 vision, the Christ and the cross. But what's it mean for our life? Jesus continues. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. We see Jesus clearly. Jesus says, now that you see me with 20-20 vision, I'm the Christ with the cross. Here's what that means for your life. Whoever wants to be my disciple, a follower of Jesus, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Your second point. There is no Christian without a cross. Think of how shocking these words must have been to the disciples. You and I look back on this, and we know Jesus died on the cross. We know all about the cross. But for the disciples, what did they know about the cross? Capital punishment for the worst of worst criminals. And what does Jesus tell his disciples to do? Pick up your cross and follow me. What? And yet that's what Jesus says. If, if, if we want to be followers of Jesus, if we want to be little Christians, little Christ, which what Christians means, little Christ in this world, and we want to follow Jesus, what's it going to mean for us? To deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Jesus. And actually it makes sense, doesn't it? Because what has Jesus come to do? to right all the wrongs, to forgive sins. He came to undo everything that sin did. So he came to fight sin. And if Jesus came to fight sin, he says, if you want to follow me, then you have to fight sin too. The sin that's in our hearts. And so if we follow Jesus, Jesus says, deny yourself. Deny the sinful pleasures and passions that are in your hearts. When you're out with friends, when you're out with friends and Uh, You have a few drinks, we fight the sinful pleasure and the sinful desire to gossip and tear down others and talk about them. As entertaining as it might be, we fight it. As we're dating, we fight the sinful pleasure, the sinful desire, and we keep the marriage bed pure, like God says. 
as we're at uh, work, and we know that our business can boom if we just do things a little unethically. We fight the sinful desire, and we glorify God. As we go about our lives on Sunday morning, we fight the, the desire to sleep in and be here, to hear God, to worship God. We fight the sinful desire inside of us when someone hurts us. And instead of holding on to bitterness, instead of forming grudges in our minds and what we'd like to do, we fight all that as we glorify God and give thanks for what he's doing in our life. As we get discontent in our life, instead of daydreaming about leaving everything, we fight that desire And we give thanks to God for what he's given us. As our marriages get stale, we fight the desire to talk with the coworker who's attractive and is giving me attention. We deny the sinful flesh to follow Jesus. And that's hard. But also hard, picking up your cross and following Jesus. What's a cross? It's more than just suffering. Uh, It's suffering for the sake of Jesus and the gospel. So, uh, for instance, cancer is absolutely suffering. But what Jesus is talking about is suffering because of Jesus. It's that suffering that comes in your family relationships because you're a Christian and they're not. And they can't believe that you would believe something so asinine in this world. It's suffering that comes into our life when we get skipped over for a promotion, and you can't prove it, but you have a hunch, it's because you stand on your Christian values even in the workplace. It's suffering when he or she ends the relationship because you stick firm to your boundaries for Jesus' sake. It's those crosses that come into our life that we pick up and bear and follow Jesus. We pick up our cross, we deny ourselves, and we follow Jesus. Because when, G- when we see Jesus clearly, he's the one who fought sin. He's the one who died for me to restore my relationship with God. How can I not fight sin and follow him, even if it means hardship in my life? Now this is the point where we're open and honest in our hearts. Who would want to do this? If you're a Christian here, I think we need to wrestle with that question. Why would you want to follow Jesus when he says, here's what it's going to look like. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, endure suffering for me, and follow me. Why are you doing that? If you're not a Christian here, why would you ever want to be? It's a good question, isn't it? It's a little uncomfortable question, if we're honest. But she knew, she knew why. She grew up in Iran, in a Muslim family. Didn't like Christians, hated Christians. She spent 10 years getting her doctorate, or her medical degree, and, and became a doctor. Highly esteemed. Her family had big time wealth, thousands of acres. Seven million dollars of gold coins. And she left it all and came to America and lived in Oklahoma as an American refugee with her son. Why? 
not to pursue the American dream. She had it in Iran. (laughs) It's because she came to know Jesus Christ. And she said, I could gain the whole world, but if I forfeit my soul, what good is it? I could gain the whole world and yet not end up in eternal glory. And she left it all because of Jesus. Because she knew what she had through her Savior. She had the crown of righteousness, the crown of life that is waiting for every single believer in Jesus because Jesus bore his cross for us. She knows that's waiting for her. And that's worth more than seven million gold coins. It's worth more than the thousands of land. It's it's worth more than all the esteem that the world could give her because she knows Christ and she knows it's true. That what's waiting for her is the crown of life that's reserved for every single believer in Jesus because Jesus valued her soul that much and he valued your soul that much too. That's why he came and bore the cross for you. He came and suffered for you. He came to die and rise again for you so that you have to look forward to the crown of life, the crown of righteousness that will be placed on every single believer's head where peace will know no end, where the uh, sinful desires end, where the crosses end, and there's peace and joy forever. And as we go through this life, as difficult as it is, there's going to be times when we give in to the sinful flesh, the sinful desires. There's going to be times when we drop our crosses. And in those moments, what do we do? We look back to the cross of Christ. Because there, in the cross of Christ, flows forgiveness. Because what can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that's what he's done for you and me, because he bore his cross. Because he denied himself the glories of heaven, and he came here to serve you and me. So that from the cross of Christ, God can say to you, your sins are are forgiven. The crown of life is yours through Jesus Christ. And that is worth more than anything in this world could give. It's because of Jesus and what he's done for us and the hope that we have because of the cross and the empty tomb that we deny ourselves. We pick up our cross and follow Jesus. Before I close, one application point. This is hard but it's such a great blessing. Because following Jesus isn't about what we leave behind, but what we've gained forever because of Christ. And when we keep our eyes on the prize, so to speak, it's a lot easier to deny ourselves. It's a lot easier to pick up our cross and follow Jesus because we have the eternal glories of heaven to look forward to. We have eternal life, life beyond the grave to look forward to forever. But it's still hard. And so here's my encouragement for you. Find someone to walk this life with you. Find someone who you can open up with and be vulnerable and say, here's the temptations I'm facing this week. And let them pray for you. Find someone where you can say, here's the crosses I'm bearing, the suffering for Jesus that I'm I'm bearing right now, and let them carry it with you. Find someone, or even better, if you're part of our church, let it be your connect group. The people that you meet with every single week. What would it look like if our connect groups were places where we felt vulnerable enough to open up and say, here's what I'm struggling with. And then we prayed for one another. And we bore those crosses with one another. 
It'd make the, it would make the load a lot lighter as we carried it with each other. But find that person this week. Think through it. Who can that person be that I open up to and they can pray with me and bear it with me? And then if you're that person that has the privilege of bearing someone else's cross, here's what I want you to do. Remind them that their Savior picked up his cross for them. Remind them of the grace and mercy and forgiveness that comes flowing from the cross of Christ. That even if they let their cross down, you can announce to them it's through Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ who bore the cross that you stand forgiven by, by God. That he forgave you for that. Remind them of the grace and mercy of our God as we bear with each other the cross that we carry. As we deny with each other the sins as we follow Jesus as he leads us to the eternal glories of heaven. When that day, our faith becomes sight. As we stand at the gates of heaven and we hear, do you see anything? And then we get to say, yes, Jesus, I see you clearly. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise and we thank you that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, into this world to absorb the cost of sin. It was his cross, and that is what his whole life was about. It was living the perfect life that we failed to live and dying on the cross to forgive us, to bring us peace with you. It's because of Jesus that we stand not guilty in your presence today. Uh, Not because of what we've done or haven't done, but because of Jesus and what he's done for us. Uh, It's that peace that fills our hearts that that brings so much joy into our life. Uh, It's because of him we have uh, eternal life to look forward to, the day when we get to stand with you and be with you in eternal joy and peace forever. We look forward to that day. It's because of Jesus and that eternal hope that we have that we want to fight sin, that we want to carry our cross, uh, because there's nothing that this world can give us that can replace eternal life with you. We look forward to that day uh, when we and all of our loved ones stand with you before your throne, singing praises to God in, in, in complete joy. We thank you for Jesus. We ask that uh, you open our hearts to feel vulnerable with someone so that they can carry all of of the temptations and and the crosses with us. We ask you to form a community around us. Let us treat each other like family so we can build each other up as we walk through this life until that day when we stand before you and see you clearly, the God of this world, not by faith, but with our eyes in our own flesh. We look forward to that day, Lord, when we uh, are filled with joy forever. Be with us, guide us, lead us until then. Amen.